Our summaries this week contain two cases from the Court of Appeals on family law. In Nessick v. Nessick, 2023, ARC App 148, the Arkansas Court of Appeals reversed an order that had modified a divorce decree in a case where the trial court took no evidence. Judge Abramson concluded that there was no showing of a material change in circumstances to order cooperation in obtaining passports. Quote, Anna and Larry Nessick were married on June 14, 2010, and their divorce decree was entered by the Crawford County Circuit Court on October 6, 2020. In it, the court awarded the parties joint physical and legal custody of the minor children. On November 11, 2021, Larry moved to modify the decree in order to take the minor children out of the country and for authority to apply for passports for them. A hearing was held on December 7. Anna appeared pro se. No witnesses were sworn in. The court asked questions of the parties. Counsel for Larry neither asked questions nor introduced any evidence. The majority of the hearing revolved around Larry's wanting to take the children to Egypt and Anna's concern with his request. At one point, the court specifically stated, We are not here for joint custody. We are here for whether or not he can get passports for the kids and take them on vacation, which I am going to grant. On December 8, 2021, the circuit court entered an order partially modifying the decree. In that order, Anna was directed to provide her consent for the passports, and the modification regarding withholding of reasonable consent for travel was added. The party seeking modification of the custody order has the burden of showing a material change in circumstances. Courts impose more stringent standards for modifications in custody than they do for initial determinations of custody to promote stability and continuity in the life of the child and to discourage repeated litigation of the same issues. In order to change custody, the circuit court must first determine that a material change of circumstances has occurred since the last order of custody, and if that threshold requirement is met, it must then determine who should have custody with the sole consideration being the best interest of the child. End of quote. In the absence of evidence showing a material change in circumstances, the trial court erred. The lower court therefore improperly modified the divorce decree when it added the following language, quote, If at any time of year defendant wishes to take the minor children outside of the United States, then she will need to obtain the permission of the court. Plaintiff is granted the right to international travel with the minor children for uninterrupted periods of 14 days without the consent of the defendant being necessary. The plaintiff is ordered to return with both children to the jurisdiction of the court. End of quote. In a companion case, Nessick v. Nessick, 2023, ARC App 151, the appellate court affirmed a contempt order against the same appellant. End of decision. In Helms v. Arkansas Department of Human Services, 2023, ARC App 158, the Arkansas Court of Appeals, in affirming a circuit court order terminating parental rights, reasoned that the father, who lived in Iowa, would have problems in parenting because of a low IQ and no driver's license, and the child had special needs. The child had been found to be dependent, neglected, and was taken from the Arkansas mother who had drug issues. The father in this case was, ad- was identified later in the administrative process and appeared to contest termination of his parental rights. The majority opinion rejected arguments for alternate placement because of a late attempted involvement in the case. Judge Thire explained.
Quote, the Arkansas Department of Human Services originally removed minor child, MC, from the custody of her mother, Selena Dusenberry, in April 2020, after MC was left with an inappropriate caretaker. MC was adjudicated dependent neglected in June 2020 on the basis of neglect, drug exposure, and abandonment. Dusenberry identified Helms as MC's potential father at the probable cause hearing. Helms, who lives in Iowa, was present for the adjudication hearing and testified he believed himself to be MC's father. As such, in its June 2020 order adjudicating MC dependent neglected, the circuit court ordered DHS to refer Helms for both a DNA test and an interstate compact on the placement of children, or ICPC, home study. Because subsequent DNA testing confirmed Helms' paternity, he was adjudicated MC's father in the October 15, 2020 review order. In that order, the court cited testimony from the review hearing indicating that MC was displaying emotional trauma, did not respond well to new situations, and would frequently cry until she vomited. The court noted that Helms had not seen MC since she was an infant. However, he was in compliance with the case plan and court orders. End of quote. In a permanency planning hearing, testimony showed the Iowa father had not seen the child since August 2017 and had not come to Arkansas. Further, there was a psychiatric evaluation stating the father did not have the capability to parent the child and recommending alternative placement. The trial court found the father had complied with the case plan to the extent he could do so, but added the father had a brain injury and lower IQ. In a second permanency planning hearing, the testimony showed the father visited Arkansas for a month and saw the child eight times. While the father attended some doctor visits here, the testimony demonstrated he could not recall the name of the physician, the specialty, or the names of medications. The court noted the father's mother had not completed necessary background checks or testified to qualify as an alternative placement. Following a change of the goal to adoption, the trial court terminated the father's parental rights, from which comes this appeal. The testimony in the trial court related the child's needs because of a complex trauma assessment indicating significant problems. Quote, the assessment indicated that MC had been raised in a chaotic and unstable environment, having been found alone in an alley with no clothes on. When MC was taken into DHS custody, she tested positive for methamphetamine and THC. MC reported frequent sadness and would cry uncontrollably when left alone in her room at her foster placement. MC was nonverbal when first placed with her mother, foster mother, but she had been improving since that placement. Nonetheless, she exhibited significant anxiety with new environments or changes to her routine. Dr. Root's conclusion was that MC was experiencing significant post-traumatic stress symptoms for her age, including intrusive symptoms, negative alterations in cognition and mood, and alterations in reactivity. On the basis of these symptoms, Dr. Root diagnosed MC with post-traumatic stress disorder. In addition, Clinical interviews and caregiver responses suggested that MC exhibited significant difficulty with separation from her caregiver compared with other children her age that negatively affected her general well-being and caused impairment at home and in daycare. The level and consistency of her symptoms and the significant impairment they caused warranted an additional diagnosis of separation anxiety disorder. End of quote. 
As to the father, the record showed borderline deficient cognitive ability with an IQ of 79 and difficulty in processing information. Quote, when asked about Helms's ability to parent a child with developmental delays or behavioral issues, Dr. DeRourke responded that Helms would have the willingness and desire to do so, but would lack the capability to independently parent. He may feel that he has that ability, but he has a lack of awareness of some of the difficulties that he's going to have. Ultimately, it was Dr. DeRourke's recommendation that an alternate placement be made for MC. This was based on the significant difficulties Helms would have with independently caring for a young child. These difficulties included the fact that he had lacked involvement with NC since she was 18 months old. He would have difficulty being involved in family integration therapy and would have to be able to understand NC's developmental, emotional, and social needs and provide for her logistically when he has significant adaptive behavioral deficits himself. End of quote. The father testified, quote, Helms recalled attending a doctor's visit during his period of visitation with MC, but he was unable to recall the type of doctor she saw and did not recall her other medications beside Electric Pro. Asked about MC's complex trauma assessment, Helms said he had not read it but had his sister-in-law read it to him. Helms was unable to recall MC's mental health diagnosis. Helms conceded that he struggled with reading and writing, but he said he was still able to work every day and did well with hands-on experiences. He explained that his family would assist him if he needed help understanding things, and he was not embarrassed to request assistance. Helms further testified that he had told his caseworker he would like MC to be placed with his family. He specifically mentioned his aunt, Sharon Clevenger, who had previously been married to Helms' mother's brother. Helms stated that he had been living alone for seven months, but before that his mother lived with him. He did not have a driver's license. Helms acknowledged that while he has his own bank account, his mother was currently the payee on his disability payment. When asked why he had not obtained a driver's license during the pendency of the case, he explained that he was more worried about my daughter than getting a license right away. He conceded that he had some memory problems, but he denied that he would have any difficulty taking care of MC's doctor's appointments or schooling issues, saying that he had good support who were there to help him if he didn't remember things. End of quote. The circuit court terminated his parental rights. Quote, At the conclusion of the termination hearing, the court found that, although Helms had completed the services provided by DHS, there was no evidence that he had benefited from those services to the extent that he was capable of providing the high level of care that would be required to take care of MC on his own. The court also stated that there were no additional services that could get him there. End of quote. In affirming, the majority reasoned, quote, The evidence here demonstrates that throughout the case, DHS provided Helms with multiple services. The evidence also showed, however, that Helms did not know the names of MC's physicians, what she was being treated for, or the dosage of her medications. He did not have a driver's license to be able to transport her to her multiple therapy appointments. As the court noted, MC was diagnosed with PTSD and separation anxiety disorder, suffered from extreme emotional outbursts, and required extensive physical, occupational, speech, and play therapy to address her psychological and physical issues. K. 
Caseworker Bell testified that she did not believe that MC could be safely placed in Helms' custody because of the combination of MC's delays and challenges and Helms' limitations. Thus, despite these services, Helms remained incapable of safely and independently providing for MC's very specialized needs. In our de novo review of the evidence, we cannot say that the circuit court erred in concluding that there was little likelihood that services would result in successful reunification. Accordingly, we affirm the circuit court's aggravated circumstances finding. End of quote. Best interest. The appellate court affirmed the circuit court conclusion that termination would be in the child's best interest. Quote, in his second point on appeal, Helms argues that the circuit court erred in finding that termination was in MC's best interest. As noted above, in order to terminate parental rights, a circuit court must find by clear and convincing evidence that termination is in the best interest of the child, taking into consideration, one, the likelihood the child will be adopted if the termination petition is granted, and two, the potential harm, specifically addressing the effect on the health and safety of the child, caused by returning the child to the custody of the parent. Each factor does not have to be proved by clear and convincing evidence. Rather, it is the overall evidence that must demonstrate clearly and convincingly that termination is in the child's best interest. Here, in conducting its best interest analysis, the court cited the testimony of adoption specialist Olderidge in finding that MC is adoptable. As to potential harm, the court found the risk of such if MC replaced in Helms' custody as there is risk of neglect due to her father's intellectual disability. End of quote. Alternative placement. As to alternative placement, the appeals court affirmed on this basis as well. Quote, Clevenger's first appearance in this case came at the termination hearing. She testified that Helms's mother had been married to her brother, stating that although they were not related by blood, she always considered Helms to be her nephew. She lives in Mercer, Missouri, about four miles away from Helms, and sees him about two or three times a week. She expressed wanting to have guardianship of MC because she belongs with family. If she were able to obtain a guardianship, she believed Helms should be able to remain in MC's life and keep a bond with her. On appeal, Helms argues that the court erred in rejecting the option of placing MC with Clevenger because doing so would have been a less restrictive placement option than the severing of his bond with MC. He concedes that Clevenger is not MC's blood relative, but argues that she should have been given more consideration as fictive kin. Quote, Regardless of Clevenger's status as fictive kin, however, we cannot find merit in Helms' argument. In short, we agree with the court's conclusion that MC could not be placed with Clevenger for several reasons. First, there was no approved home study. Under the ICPC, a child shall not be sent, brought, or caused to be sent or brought into the receiving state until the appropriate public authorities in the receiving state shall notify the sending agency in writing to the effect that the proposed placement does not appear to be contrary to the interest of the child. Art Code and Section 929-201, Article 3D. Although Clevenger and Fields testified that an ICPC study had been completed, no such study was introduced into evidence at the termination hearing. Quote, We also agree with the court's concerns over the lack of relationship between Clevenger and MC. Throughout this case, MC was never placed in a relative's custody. End of quote. The majority concluded, quote, In this case, MC has been out of the family home since April 2020, 
a time span now closing in on three years or half her life. Despite Helms's obvious best intentions, it was clear to the circuit court from the evidence before it that placing M.C. in his custody was contrary to her health and welfare. Given the very specific circumstances of this case, we simply cannot say that the circuit court erred in finding that termination of Helms's parental rights was in M.C.'s best interest. Accordingly, we affirm. End of quote. Chief Judge Harrison, who was joined by Judges Verdon, Gladwin, Kleppenbach, and Gruber, wrote, quote, I respectfully dissent from the majority's opinion. In my view, the circuit court clearly erred when it terminated Shane Helms's parental rights on the record presented. Consequently, I would reverse the order terminating Shane's parental rights and remand for further proceedings. End of quote. Judge Hickson, joined by Judges Barrett and Murphy, wrote further in dissent, quote, This is not a case in which Helms seriously failed to provide reasonable care for his daughter, could not sustain efforts to remedy the problems that caused DHS to be involved, or manifested an extreme indifference to the health, safety, and welfare of his daughter. Helms was not even given the opportunity to care for his daughter. Instead, the circuit court determined that statutory grounds existed, specifically that other factors or issues had arisen after the original petition was filed, and that there was little likelihood that further services would result in successful reunification. See Art Code and Section 927.341.B.3.B. It was further determined that termination of Helms's parental rights was in the best interest of M.C. The majority stresses that Helms did not have a driver's license, and upon questioning, he could not recall the names of M.C.'s medications. Helms did state, however, that his daughter's medication information was written down at home, and he had forgotten to bring the list. The caseworker testified that she believed M.C. could not be safely placed with Helms because he is unable to remember things and cannot drive M.C. in the event of an emergency. However, as I read the statute, nothing requires a parent to have a stellar memory or a driver's license. Further, the decision to terminate Helms's parental rights was made even after a family member had expressed an interest in obtaining custody of M.C. or even adopting M.C., as a less restrictive alternative if M.C. could not be reunited with her father. Sharon Clevenger even had an approved home study of her home in Missouri and was in the process of receiving a determination from the state of Arkansas with the completed home study. As such, it was premature to grant termination given Dr. DeRourke's testimony that Helms is able to aid in M.C.'s care if an alternative placement was made. End of quote. Another dissent written by Judge Murphy added, quote, I join the dissent but write separately to amplify the concerns set out in footnote 2. As stated above, the subsequent factors ground requires that the department make reasonable accommodations in accordance with the ADA to parents with disabilities in order to allow them meaningful access to reunification and family preservation services. The aggravated circumstances ground, which the court relied on, also requires services to the family, yet has no requirement to give a reasonable accommodation to a qualifying parent with disabilities. If a parent with disabilities needs a reasonable accommodation to have meaningful access to family services, should not such a reasonable accommodation be given to a qualifying parent where a court is trying to determine if such services will result in successful reunification? This oversight demands legislative clarification. End of quote. End of decision.